thank you uh, for being here this morning. It's funny, any book that you read on church stuff generally says the Sunday after Easter is your worst Sunday of the year. I'm not joking. They, they've done studies on it and said this is the worst Sunday of the year. So all week long this week, I've just been like, God, please don't let it be the worst Sunday of the year. I can't deal with it. Then I wake up this morning. It's freezing cold. The wind's blowing. I know that we have to set everything up. If you were here this morning uh, helping set up, you'll know that it wasn't the same as last week when everybody was here helping set up. It was a little different. Uh, there was a few, few less people. As a matter of fact, it was almost 9.30 by the time we got done with everything setting up, and I was just sitting there going, oh, this is just going to be great. But then, you know, God's like, hey, I got all the control. Don't worry about a thing. Easter was amazing last week, I got to tell you. I was so excited to be over there. I'm actually more excited to be back in here, though, because I can actually see you. The whole time while I was on the stage, all I could see was a black wall. I had no idea who was there. I didn't know any. People were like, hey, I saw you in Easter. I'm like, I didn't see you. I'm sorry. I Forgive me. But um, a couple of things we did do with Easter last week is we sent out an email. I'm not sure if you got it this week. But we asked you to fill out a survey just to kind of give us your opinion on what you thought Easter was. And um, we said first, 10th, 20th people were going get, to uh, get gift cards. And our first person that filled out was, was Sandra House. And Sandra's back there. And I got a gift card for you right here. And uh, so I thank you for doing that. And our, the 10th person was Rebecca Mitchell. So I'm just going to pass it right there. So there you go. And um, that means there's still a 20th one there. If you would do me a favor when you get home today, uh, you can't do it on your iPhone, so you can't do it while I'm preaching. I, I apologize for that. Um, but uh, you can fill it out online. Love to get your opinion. And be honest with me. Don't, don't be like, oh, I just want to make you feel better about yourself. I don't need that. I'm good. I've had plenty of rejection in my life. If you thought it was terrible, let me know so we can fix what we need to fix. But go online, do that for us, and uh, if you fall into the 20th one, next week you'll be getting yourself a gift card. So do me a favor. Today, have your Bible ready. Anybody ever play Bible drill when you were young? Anybody? A few of you did? Um, we're going to kind of do a Bible drill type of thing today because we're going to be hopping back and forth in some main verses. But the main one I want you to find is Daniel chapter 1. So if you want to stick your finger in there, put, uh, put a business card, something in there, just to mark the spot, your little ribbon that's in your Bible. Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to end up, but we're going to be at a bunch of different places. Because today, we are starting our new series on The Warrior, Fighting Ninja Character Assassins. Now, over the next eight weeks, we're going to be talking about deadly ninja character assassins that attack our lives ever so subtly. And the reason why we're calling them ninjas is because A, ninjas are cool, um, and B, because that's the way they do it. They get in there, they're quiet, they're stealthy, and they destroy you from the inside out. And that's why we're going to be talking about these things. There's about eight different things we're going to talk about. Today we're going to be in compromise, um, and then we're going to be going through busyness, anger, cynicism, fear, which happens to be on Mother's Day, um, not completely intentional, but somewhat coincidental. Um, wanting more, pride and self-reliance, which we're using the word machismo because it just sounds better than that, and lust. So each of these things have ninja-like abilities to come into our lives and take us out. And it all starts with what we're going to talk about today, and that's compromise. It all starts with the the ability to compromise and the desire to compromise. I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a ninja. I had G.I. Joe characters. Anybody else play G.I. Joe and there was Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow? Man, I would love to have been either one of those. Now we've got the movie co- movies are out and there's another one coming out. I'm, I'm excited. I like, I like ninja stuff. I watched all the ninja things. I grew up around the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Seriously, that's awesome. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they were turtles that had ninja powers and they had a rat for a sensei. I mean, how much better could it possibly be? 
You had that, you had the Karate Kid. Even Chuck Norris, and everybody loves Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris had a ninja movie. It was called The Octagon. It came out in 1980. I was only four years old at the time. I didn't see it then, but I did see it later. He wasn't actually a ninja, but he was a martial artist that saved the world from ninjas. Because Chuck Norris, he can do that. That's what he's all about. And the thing is, is all this stuff, man, when I was little, I loved it. And ninjas had this amazing ability to do everything. They could fly. They could be invisible. They could transform themselves into animals. If, if you are into it, you're probably like, yeah, I remember all that stuff. And video games and movies and all those things have made it even bigger and bigger. But you know what? There actually were real ninjas. As hard as that might be to believe, it was actually a group of people, and that was their job. They actually were ninjas. They were trained. They were assassins. As a matter of fact, I did some reading on it. I was actually doing studying on ninjas. Most of you are like, you should be studying your Bible. I was studying ninjas this week, and I was learning all about them. Listen to what it says here in, one of the, in some of the material I read. It said the ninja, or the shinobi, was a covert agent or mercenary in feudal Japan who specialized in unorthodox warfare. The functions of the ninja included espionage, sabotage, infiltration, and assassination, and on occasion, open combat. Their covert methods of waging war contrasted the ninja with the samurai who observed strict rules about honor and combat. You know, in just hearing that, and just hearing that little bit, and knowing that we had titled this, this idea of us being a warrior, that samurai, we have the, we have the, the honor and the conduct in, in how we fight. And then there's the ninja who don't, they don't care how they fight. They just fight to win. Uh, a friend of mine actually told me that uh, not too long ago, that when he fights with his boys, you know, they get into wrestling and stuff like that, the older they've gotten and the older he's gotten, the more apt they are to win. So he's had to result to fighting dirty. Um, because that's how you win. And that's exactly what happens with the ninja. They fight dirty. They come in and they infiltrate and they are all about assassination and sabotage. Read what it says here. It says, espionage was a chief role of the ninja. With the aid of disguises, the ninja gathered information on enemy terrain, building specifications, and, and well, as well as obtaining passwords and communiques. The Nochi Kagami, because all you guys know what that is, Briefly describes a ninja's role in espionage. It says, concerning the ninja, they were said to be from Aiga and Koga and went freely into enemy castles in secret. They observed hidden things and were taken in as being friends. That's kind of one of the funny things that I didn't even really tie into this until I read this this week. Isn't it so often that these ninja assassins that we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks, we take them in as being friends and just allow them to come into our lives? And say, yeah, you know what, it's just that little compromise. It's just a little thing, a little here, there, a little, just a little bit. But we let them in, and they slowly but surely to- take over our lives, and they assassinate us, and they assassinate our characters. They make us who we are not meant out to be, and it all starts with compromise. But before we walk through the door of compromise, I want to talk about this word that I've tossed out a couple of times, and that's character. What is Character. What is character? There's so many different things that people think that character is. It's a word that can be so easily misconstrued. The first thing I want to tell you is what it's not. Character, character, first of all, is not what others think of you. Because that is reputation. It is not what you have achieved or accomplished. Because that is recognition. And it is not what you desire to be. Because that is aspiration. Character is the real you. Character is a real you. D.L. Moody, who was a Bible um, 
teacher and professor, and he has a school in, in Chicago area, and he was a preacher, just an amazing guy. This is what he said about it. He said, character is what you are in the dark. If I take my character and my reputation, or if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. Martin Luther King Jr., who you might be a little bit more familiar with than D.L. Moody, says the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. That is character. If you have your bulletins with you, I want to give you a definition that we're going to hold on to for the next eight weeks, and there's some fill-in-the-blanks there on the back. I want you to hold on to this because this is the definition of character that we're going to take. This is the definition that we're going to run with, and it says this. Character is doing what is right in God's eyes, regardless of my desires in the moment or what it may cost me in the future. Character is doing what is right in God's eyes, regardless of my desires in the moment or what it may cost me in the future. Us developing strong character is between us and God. How we do it is between us and God. We have so many choices to make on a daily basis. And our choice can either be to follow what God wants us to do, no matter what our desires are in the moment, or what it may cost us in the future, or we can choose to do what we want to do, no matter what our desires are or what it may cost us in the future. That's our choice. And we have those multiple times. Sometimes they're small, sometimes they're large. The larger ones seem to be easier to fight than the little ones. The little ones seem to sneak in and they make their way in and they pry themselves in and they, they kind of plant themselves in and they grow as a seed and they take over. How do we not be so weak? How do we keep those things from getting into our lives? How do we develop an assassin-proof character that will allow us to have good character? Allow those things to move on by and we don't even get tempted by them. How do we do that? How is that even possible? Well, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians to start out with. Like I said, we're going to be doing some Bible drill, flipping back and forth. But the book of Ephesians that we went through a, about a year ago now, um, we're going to be getting into the book of Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. But before we get there, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and what you're doing for us and in us and through us. But Lord, we fail. We stumble, we slip. Help us today and help us over the next eight weeks to assassin-proof our lives. To keep those things out and, Lord, to keep you in and keep you in control. We pray it all in your name this morning, Lord. Amen. It says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse starting in verse 20. We're going to read through verse 24. It says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, two of those things we're going to be talking about. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. So answering our question, going back, how do we assassin-proof our, our, our lives? We throw off the old, and we instead let the Spirit renew our thoughts and our attitudes. Put on the new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I'm not sure if you guys have multiple different versions of the Bible that you, you uh, some of you like NIV, some of you like KJV, some of you like different things. The message version is very laid back, but it is so practical in the way it is. I want to read that one to you from this, this specific section from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. It says this, it says, but, and it's in your bulletins too if you want to follow along, but that's not, no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you've paid careful attention to him. 
being well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have an excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life, it has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you. So where does it start? It all starts with letting God come into our lives and take over. Because so many of us will say, yeah, I like the idea of God coming into my life and saving me from my sin. That's a great thing because sin sends me to hell and I don't want to go to hell. So I'm just going to take Jesus, I'm going to take what he did, and I'm going to apply that part to my life, but not to my whole life. Just this little portion here, just that sin portion that I think is what I need to take care of so I can go on living the way I want to live. But God says, no, 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 no. Let the Spirit come in and take control. Not be your co-pilot, but be the pilot. Be the leader. Be the one that is directing and taking you where you need to go. That is what the first step is in keeping the ninja assassins out. Because when we start making decisions, I don't know about you, but I'm not a smart man. I am dumb. I make poor choices. And when that comes in and when that happens, we're up a creek. We let those little things come in and they slowly but surely start to take over. We've got to let the Holy Spirit lead. And some of you are like, well, what's the Holy Spirit? I, I've heard him before because he's part of the Trinity. You know, you've got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I know who the Father is. I know who the Son is. But that Holy Spirit, he's kind of like the crazy cousin Eddie that nobody ever talks about. Who is that? What is that all about? I'm glad you asked, because tonight in Connection Groups, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about for the next three Connection Group meetings. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and His role in our lives and what we're supposed to do and how He comes into our lives. Like it says in, in the book of Acts, that, that God has given Him to us to be our power, to be the one who helps us out. It's who we plug into when we can't do it on our own. And you know when we can't do it on our own? All the time. And that's what he's there for, and that's what it's all about. Paul tells us in Romans 13, 14, which we went over a couple of weeks ago, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about the, evil, the ways uh, to indulge your evil desires. This clothing he talks about, this putting on the armor of God, is what it is. It, it's not about being pretty in church. You know, some churches will use this as a verse to say, well, see, it says that you're supposed to dress yourself pretty on church Sundays. This, that's the reason why you're supposed to. No, 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 this is all about protection. This is all about being protected from those flaming arrows, like the book of Ephesians chapter 6. As a matter of fact, I want to read that to you. Like I said, we're going to be doing some flipping back and forth. The spiritual armor that's supposed to protect, it, protect us, because it says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor, so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, the ninja assassins. That's what they're all about, infiltrating and being sabotaged and espionage. Unseen, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, therefore, because of all these things, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the times of evil. When are the times of evil? Well, if you go back in that same letter to Ephesians, he says in Ephesians 5, 15, and 16, the days right now are evil. The days right now are evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, 
put on the peace that comes from good news that, so you'll be fully prepared. That's in a word we need to make sure we highlight too, prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. The reason why I want to share this with you is I don't know about you. I'm a movie watcher, okay? I like watching movies. I, I don't really like reading books very often. It's not something that's ever was ingrained in me. I was about watching movies and quoting them and memorizing them. But I loved war movies. I'm not sure if I should announce this or not, but probably one of my favorite movies of all time is Braveheart. I know it's rated R, and I know there's lots of gore and guts and all kinds of, yeah, but it's cool. It's cool. And you watching that movie, I like Saving Private Ryan. I like uh, We Were Soldiers. I, I like The Patriot. I like the ones that just have full, intense action. And I'll tell you, every movie that I have ever watched that has to do with war or battle or anything like that, and even the few books that I have read, because I was going to be a history teacher at one point in time, the few books that I've read, they're about war and battle. Never once do I remember ever seeing or watching or reading it say that when they got there and the battle's about to commence, that's when they put on their armor. That's when they put on their gear. No, you go into battle prepared for battle. My question for you is, is this, are you prepared for battle? Are you a warrior ready to fight the ninja character assassins that are trying to take you out? Because when you walk out around these curtains here and out those doors, you're walking into a battlefield. As a matter of fact, you might be sitting in the middle of a battlefield right now because between your ears, there's a battle going on right now. There's a war waging in your brain saying, yeah, you should listen to him. No, you shouldn't. You should hear what God has to say about this. No, you're all right on your own. There's a battle that is going on, and you're getting beat up right now. Are you ready to fight? These sneaky little character assassins are making camp in your castle. They have made their way into your lives. And it's all because of the thing that we're going to talk about today, and that is compromise. Compromise. Did you know, I saw a USA Today poll recently that said that 80% of Americans claim to be Christian. 80% of Americans. I don't know about you, but the word Christian came from followers of the way. That was their original title in the Bible. And it became Christian because they were Christ followers. Christ followers, followers of the way. Could we say that 80% of Americans are described by that term? Followers of the way. Absolutely not. No way. I, I would love to say that it's true, but just because you go to church on Christmas and Easter doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your grandparents were Christians doesn't make you one. Just because you said a magic prayer on your bed one day but nothing ever changed in your life doesn't make you a Christian. And that's kind of the thing that we have to understand. We get into it. And the problem here is, the problem here is, the reason why 80% say they are but they don't reflect that is because of compromise. It boils right down to compromise. It says, and remember in Ephesians 4.24, to put on a new nature, to be created like God, truly righteous and holy. I wouldn't say that there's a whole lot of people that have done that in their lives. I wouldn't say that of that 80%. In 1 Corinthians 16, or 6, 19 and 20, it says this. 
don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? There's that Holy Spirit guy again. Who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for you were bought at a high price. You must honor God with your body. What's that? You were bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. What's that mean? I did a lot of study and reading this week on that. You know what it turned out it meant? It means that you do not belong to yourself and that you were bought with a price. That's exactly what it means. We are not our own. We like to think that we are. We can make the decisions that we are. But when God came into our lives, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, that's what we celebrate at Easter. That's what it's all about. It goes beyond the bunny. It goes beyond all those things. Jesus came and died for our sins. He paid, paid the penalty that we were supposed to pay. And that's what it boiled down to. That we were supposed to get death, and he took it instead. He took that death, like we talked about last week, and laid it in his grave. Because he conquered it. He beat it. And now, now we stand and say, you know what? You have paid for us. If we were a real slave and somebody had paid for us, do we get a lot of decisions in what we get to do? No, we go along with what the master says. We follow the master. And that's exactly what Christ has done. He paid for us. God is our master. He should rule our lives. He should do that. If 80% is shocking, if that number is shocking to you, it's because most people don't live for God. They live for themselves. They don't think that they've been bought with a price. They think they've been saved from hell, and that's it. That's good enough for them. They've got to get out of hell free card in their pocket, and it's all good. So when God comes up to them at the end of the day, when all this is all said and done, and you're standing, and you know, whatever joke you want to say, St. Peter's standing at the gate, whatever it is, however it happens to be, we're standing on a cloud, we're waiting in a big long line, there's a big DVD player, God says, all right, we're going to watch your life. Boom, hits play, and starts going through it all. Yep, there's a sin, there's a sin, there's a sin. That's going to keep you out of heaven. You're like, oh no, but I got this get out of hell free card. Read the book of Matthew sometime. The book of Matthew actually says, there are people that say, well, we did all these things, we, we followed the rules, and, and we we're pretty good most of the time. And God turns and says to him, you know what? I didn't ever know you. I didn't ever really own you. And that's what it comes down to. It's compromise. Compromise. What is it? The definition in the dictionary says this. An agreement or settlement of a dispute that is reached by each side by making concessions. That sounds like an okay thing. But let's look at the second definition that says. The acceptance of standards that are lower than desirable. So when is compromise okay and when is it not? When is the first definition what it applies and when is the second def- definition when it's not? This is what I wrote down. I put, I think compromise is beneficial when it promotes cooperation without sacrificing moral values. Because individuals have differing preferences, personalities, capabilities. Compromise has to happen. It has to happen in marriages. It has to happen, excuse me, in friendships. It has to happen in the work situation. It has to happen in different areas of life like that. I understand that. There's compromise that takes place. On the same note, on the same note, it's vital that we are aware that there are areas in which compromise is not acceptable as well. There's got to be things in our lives that say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. So we can compromise there. But there are other areas that it matters more than anything. For instance, if yesterday... Christy and I decided we wanted to go to lunch. And I said, I want to go to Carl's Jr. And she wants to go next door to Chick-fil-A. A A compromise would take place. We would go to Chick-fil-A. That's what happens. 
It's not going to change my moral character. It's not going to destroy me. I'll just get a double Western bacon cheeseburger another day. That's what happens, and that's how it happens. But, but when it comes down to the real issues of morality, there's always a conflict between compromise and commitment. There's always a conflict between compromise and commitment. And I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but every time, every time we have this idea, am I going to stay committed to what God wants me to do? Because we do know it. Internally, if you've been to church more than once in your life, you know there is a commitment that God wants from us. Will we do it or will we compromise? There's always a conflict there. There's always a battle that goes in our mind. And I will tell you this, the first step, the first step in the wrong direction is the most dangerous. The first step in the wrong direction is always the most dangerous because it can lead to selfish actions and ultimately, ultimately destruction. It normally begins small, though, and it seems insignificant. You know this already because you've gone through these battles before. You've fallen into temptations and traps and things that you know weren't right, and it didn't seem like it was all that wrong at the beginning, but then all of a sudden, boom, it blew up in your face because that's the way it is. They're sneaky, and they're little, and they penetrate in, and they infiltrate into our lives, and then they make themselves known afterwards because that first act of compromise isn't generally a huge act of disobedience not generally sometimes it might be but most of the time it's not it's not like we go out of our way it's just a slip in thinking we let our guard down but that small slip puts us on a slippery slope say that real fast that small slip puts us on a slippery slope and we start and our lives deteriorate and the next thing we know our character has been destroyed and we can't figure out why is because we continue to rationalize the next step every time we compromise our morals. We rationalize the next step as being okay because I just did this one, so we're going to take that next step and that next step and that next step. It weakens our conscience. It makes it more difficult to reverse the trend. And I've noticed that compromise in one area always opens up the door to compromise elsewhere. Letting compromise in Letting those ninjas in always leads to defeat. Always. You know, it's funny. I had Peyton run out here and he had his black costume on. Did you know that the ninjas of the day didn't actually wear black costumes? They generally would work and dress up like migrant farmers, peasant workers, people that were out in the field that would just be in the midst of everybody else. You couldn't see who they actually were, yet they had these amazing skills that kill you with their bare hands. And that is how they got in. They didn't let you know they were coming. They just slowly worked their way in. And that's exactly what happens here with compromise. We let the little things step in. We are defeated. Our character is destroyed. I can't tell you how many friends, how many people I've met met with that have had troubles in their marriages, that have had affairs, that have done poor business decisions, have, have been getting phone calls from the IRS or whatever it might be. Each one of these things happen, and they come to me and they say, what can I do to fix it? And I said, you're coming to me too late at this point. What you should have done to fix it is not get yourselves involved in the situation. But not one of my friends that has ever had an affair or had problems in their marriage because of making poor choices said at the very beginning, you know what I'm going to do today? 
I'm going to wake up and I'm going to cheat on my wife. It was never that way. Or vice versa. I'm going to cheat on my husband. It was never that type of thing. It was small little compromises that took place and made that final compromise that much easier to do because they had already taken each small step along the way. They let the ninja assassin in and he was killing them and killing their character. And I'm telling you, the guys, one of my closest friends, one of my closest friends on a scale of 1 to 50 of all the people that I would think that ever would commit adultery, he'd be number two behind one other friend and never, ever doing it. Never. And the day that I found out, it crushed me. It crushed me. And I still talk to him, and we still talk about things, but I can guarantee he never would say to you, well, the reason why it happened was because I just woke up one day and I was mad at my wife, so I went out and did it. It was never that way. It was small compromises all along the way. We have to be very, very careful. And there's so many biblical characters that have done it too. If you can't look around and see the friends that have done it, look at the biblical characters that have done it. You look at Solomon. Solomon is the wisest man on the planet outside of Jesus. Wisest man on the planet outside of Jesus. And what did he do? He married into the Pharaoh's daughter when God specifically said, don't get involved with the Egyptians. And it ruined him. There's so many other guys. You think about Lot. Lot living in the, the town of Sodom and Gomorrah. You think about David. David, he's, he's a pretty high up there guy in biblical standards. You know, he wanted to be a man after God's own heart. He was in the line of Jesus. And as we look over those guys, I can guarantee that the morning that, that David went up and he was sitting on top of, the, uh, top of his castle and he looked down and saw Bathsheba taking a, a, a bath on the rooftop and he stood there and he went, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to invite her up. I'm going to impregnate her. I'm going to kill her husband. And then, because of it, I'm going to lose a baby that, that uh, came through it all. I think that's what I'm going to do today. That was never it. He let the compromise happen. He let it happen. And that's what happens in each and every one of our lives. We have all these things. The good thing is there's some great examples on the other side. Noah. You think he could have compromised? He's building a boat for 120 stinking years. Okay? That is a long time to build a boat. You don't think people were walking by making fun of him? Going, yeah, that flood's on its way, isn't there, buddy? Yeah, you enjoy yourself. We're going to keep doing our normal thing, our daily thing. That's what we're going to do. 120 years. But yet he never compromised. He never broke down. He never did it. He did exactly what God had called him to do. Joseph. We've talked about him before. He was beaten up by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was in prison for things that he never actually did. As a matter of fact, he didn't give in to compromise, and that's why he was imprisoned. Yet he never backed down on what God wanted him to do. And look what God did, and look how God used him. Elijah. Last year, we were going through the, book of, uh, going through the life of Elijah. And as we looked at him in the book of 1 Kings, we see that he never backed down, even though his life was on the line. All these guys, all these guys were willing to say, I'm willing to live or die for God. And that was a life change that, that happened. Today I want to take a closer look at a guy we even looked at already once this year. We took a quick look at him on Super Bowl Sunday, if you remember. We talked about choosing to cheat. There's a guy by the name of Daniel. That's why I want you to be in Daniel chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. Daniel chapter 1, there's one verse that if you write in your Bibles, I would love for you to highlight. If you haven't already done it once before, but it's Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. And this is what it says. It says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to him by the king. 
And that, doesn't may, that may not sound like a whole lot, but this is an area where he chose not to compromise. He and his three buddies decided they were going to take a stand. Because they had been, and we talked about this already once before, so this is kind of a review if you were here on Super Bowl Sunday, but we talked about the idea that they were completely uprooted. You see, Daniel and his, and his three buddies here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were their, were their Babylonian names. But you'll see, they were good Jewish boys living in Jerusalem. They had God surrounding them. They had a temple there. They had all the Christian influence, I guess, if you want to relate it to today's terms. All the Christian influence that you could possibly have right there, all surrounding them. And then they got ripped out of that. And thrown into a whole new situation. They were in a new home. Everything that they were being exposed to was new to them. There wasn't a temple around the corner. There wasn't priest teaching. There wasn't any of these things. There's a whole new knowledge. They were being exposed to things they'd never heard of before. They were probably being told the Bible was a crutch. And that God was a crutch. And this is the way to live. We should believe in science. You know, those kind of things. That's the things that he was, they were probably being thrown at. This is the kind of thing that we see. They even got new names. I'm not sure if you knew this, but Daniel, which means God is my judge, was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, who's a God, will protect. Hananiah was changed to Shadrach. Hananiah meant God is gracious. Shadrach meaning inspiration of the sun, the sun God. Mishael, God without equal, was changed to Meshach, belonging to Aku, another God. Azariah, Lord is my helper, to Abednego, the servant of Nego, another god. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't just want to change and make them compromise. He wanted to throw everything they knew out and bring in a whole new everything. Leave God out and bring in these little G gods. This is what should rule your life. And they had to go along with certain things here. They didn't have any choice in having their name changed. But when it came down to their diet and came down to this final thing, they said, you know what? We know that this food has been offered to other gods, and that is supposed to be strength for us to eat it from those gods. We don't want strength from those gods. We want strength from our gods. So we're going to choose vegetables over ribeyes. I don't know how that's possible. Even in today, unless vegetables are covered in butter and cheese, and even then, I'm going to take a ribeye first. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how they did it. But they did it, and because they did it, because they didn't give in, because they were grounded in God and in their beliefs, and they knew exactly what they wanted to do, they went into the battle prepared and ready. They didn't get taken out, and, you know, that whole time they were grounded in their Christian beliefs, when they got taken out, they didn't just say, oh, well, I'm not in Jerusalem anymore. I can do what I want to do. That wasn't the attitude they had. It was, this is the God that we serve, and this is who we are going to follow, whether it be in life or in death. And as you all know, if you read through the book of Daniel and some of the things we're going to go over, even continue on in these next couple of weeks, when the, they all get thrown into the fire, when Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den, it's all stories we've heard when we were little kids, but how important is it that they said, you know what, I'd rather die than not follow God. How many of us can say that? How many of us can say that in our lives? Because it's so often so often we want to choose ourselves over God. So often we want to back out of what God has called us to do. They did not let the character assassins come into their camp. How about us? 
How obedient are we? How much do we follow God? How much do we say, yes, God is my God and that is that? Not God plus anything else, not God only on Sundays, not God only at this time of the day. God is my God and nothing else. He is the leader. He is the pilot. How do we take that in? How do we obey? My question is, how is your obedience to God? Is it because you have to and because the church says you have to, or is it because you love God and that is your response to Him? Somebody asked me this question this week. They got me thinking. They said this. It says, does your love for God relate to your obedience to Him? Can we say we love God yet continually disobey Him? Silence. Because I think if you put it in any other relationship, a parent-to-kid relationship, a husband-to-wife relationship, if we constantly disobeyed and constantly broke their trust, how can we say we love them? How can we say that? And as we're talking about compromising, I think in order, in order for us to stop compromising, in order for us to break this down, we need to submit to Christ. We need to give ourselves over to Him. We need to, hit, to let Him take the lead. We need to let the Holy Spirit come into our lives. And like I said, we're going to talk about it during connection groups tonight. If you're, who's the Holy Spirit? Come. If you're like, oh, I believe this about the Holy Spirit, come. If you're on one side of the spectrum and you think that's a bunch of bull or you think this is the greatest thing ever, come. Be a part of the discussion. Get plugged into this. Understand what we're talking about here. If you want to avoid compromise, we have to let the Spirit control us. We have to stop trying to control ourselves. Because you know what? We're not strong enough. But the good thing is, is that we are bought with a price. We are bought with a price. We are not our own. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we do thank you for today. We thank you that you have given us the strength to be the warrior that you've called us to be. Each and every one of us fight character assassins. Some of us deal with lust. Some of us deal with cynicism. Some of us deal with pride. Each one of those is knocking us down in little areas of our lives. And I pray, Lord, that today, that even as we're just starting out with compromise, that, Lord, you make it evident to us where we are failing at, where we're struggling at, where we're having the issues at, that you make it very evident to us. So, Lord, we can get them out of our lives and we can put you in their place. We can stop wanting more of what the world has and instead want more of what you have. That should be our cry every morning, Lord, and I know I fail at that sometimes. Sometimes I only think about myself. Help me to fix that area in my life. Help me to stop making dumb decisions and instead just decide to follow you. Praying all in your name, Lord. Amen.